Chapter 9 of Abraham Lincoln, A History, Volume 9. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Abraham Lincoln, A History, Volume 9, by John Hay and John George Nicolay. Chapter 9 The Jackus Gilmore Mission. If the result of Mr. Greeley's Niagara efforts left any doubt that peace was at present unattainable, the fact was demonstrated beyond question by the result and published report of another unofficial and volunteer negotiation which was proceeding at the same time. The war had brought into the Western Army James F. Jackus, D.D., a Methodist clergyman from the state of Illinois whom governor yates had commissioned to raise and lead to the field the seventy-third regiment of illinois volunteers with some force of character and practical talent his piety and religious enthusiasm touched that point of development which causes men to be classed as fanatics or prophets as success or failure waits on the unusual efforts to which they sometimes dedicate themselves in may eighteen sixty three colonel jackus wrote to general james a garfield then chief of staff to general rosencrans in whose army jackus was serving as follows it is a well-known fact that the methodist episcopal church in the united states was divided on the very questions which have divided the nation before the southern states seceded it is also known that the methodist episcopal church south was a leading element in the rebellion of the southern states and has been a prominent power in the prosecution of the war a considerable part of the territory occupied by the methodist episcopal church south at the time of the separation and up to recent date is now in the possession of our the union army this brings a large number of ministers and people of that communion within our lines some of these were prominent in the rebellion that separated the church and were most bitter and uncompromising on the questions of difference from these i have learned in person the following facts that they consider the rebellion has killed the methodist episcopal church south that it has virtually obliterated slavery and all the prominent questions of difference between the north and the south that they are desirous of returning to the old church methodist episcopal that their brethren of the south are most heartily tired of the rebellion and that they most ardently desire peace and the privilege of returning to their allegiance to church and state and that they will do this on the first offer coming from a reliable source my attention has been called to these facts and others of a like character frequently of late and from these considerations but not from these alone but because god has laid the duty upon me i submit to the proper authorities the following proposition viz i will go into the southern confederacy and return within ninety days with terms of peace that the government will accept n b i propose no compromise with traitors but their immediate return to allegiance to god and their country it is no part of my business to discuss the probability or the possibility of the accomplishment of this work i propose to do it in the name of the lord if he puts it into the hearts of my superiors to allow me to do it i shall be thankful if not i have discharged my duty general rosencrans forwarded this letter to president lincoln earnestly approving and seconding the application of colonel jackus i do not anticipate the results that he seems to expect he wrote 
but believe a moral force will be generated by his mission that will more than compensate us for his temporary absence from his regiment to the request thus endorsed mr lincoln made the following reply i have but a slight personal acquaintance with colonel jackus though i know him very well by character such a mission as he has proposes i think promises good if it were free from difficulties which i fear it cannot be first he cannot go with any government authority whatever that is absolute and imperative secondly if he goes without authority he takes a great deal of personal risk he may be condemned and executed as a spy if for any reason you think fit to give colonel jacques a furlough and any authority from me for that object is necessary you hereby have it for any length of time you see fit general rosencrans issued the required furlough but colonel jacques soon found that this alone would not serve his purpose instead of trusting to church influence he at once addressed himself to the ordinary military channels for communicating with the south he went to baltimore and asked permission to go by way of fort monroe to richmond under date of july thirteenth general schenck telegraphed to the president colonel james f jacques seventy-third illinois infantry is here from the army of the cumberland he desires me to send him to fort monroe shall i do so he says you understand to this mr lincoln replied mr jacques is a very worthy gentleman but i can have nothing to do directly or indirectly with the matter he has in view we may suppose that the colonel persuaded general schenck to send him to fort monroe and that he also prevailed upon the officers conducting exchanges of prisoners to further allow him to proceed from there through the military lines on some pretext at all events in eleven days colonel jacques was back in baltimore from which place he wrote the president the following absurd letter i have obtained valuable information and proposals for peace through the channel i proposed unofficial but from men of character and great influence in the south residents there would it be consistent for me to communicate them to you if so how by telegraph mail or in person latter greatly preferred if thought proper i am moving strictly private i await your answer at barnum's but mr lincoln did not need any further report from colonel jacques to his quick eye this brief letter told all the writer intended to communicate and much more which his blinded enthusiasm could not comprehend admitting that he had actually been within the rebel lines it was preposterous to suppose that in the brief space of a single week he could have gathered any considerable information concerning public sentiment and the vague intimations of half a dozen private individuals in richmond were worthless as exponents of the political will of the states in rebellion of what value were these unavowed unofficial suggestions when lee's army directed by the unyielding military dictatorship of jefferson davis had with difficulty just been driven out of pennsylvania and was still hovering between washington and richmond mr lincoln could listen to none but official proposals and not to official proposals merely but to such only as came by and with an authority that can control the armies now at war against the united states as he stated a year later in his announcement to whom it may concern which is quoted elsewhere he had just refused to permit the vice-president of the confederacy to come within the union lines because he would not avow the object of his visit 
all these things were simply a part of the continually repeated diplomatic ruse to get from the government an acknowledgment of the official and independent status of the confederacy wherewith to strengthen their claims to european recognition while combating the open contumacy of the Vallandigham democrats in ohio and suppressing the draft riots in new york the president could not make himself a party to the well-meant but dangerous petty intrigue colonel jacques was left strictly to his own course and after waiting at baltimore till his patience was exhausted he returned to his regiment in the west to do better service as a soldier than as a diplomat meanwhile nursing his hobby for a more opportune occasion and apparently not communicating to generals rosencrans and garfield who had honored him with their confidence the valuable information and unofficial proposals for peace which in his note to the president he claimed to have received or if he did these officers did not consider them of sufficient importance to bring them to the president's attention jacques's verbal report to some of his personal friends was more rose-colored he gave out through the mysterious fellowship and brotherhood of the church he had met and conversed with high officers and prominent personages in the rebel armies and southern society and had learned from them to his own satisfaction that the south was tired of the war and reconciled to the loss of slavery but that their sense of general responsibility and loyalty to the rebel cause and government would not permit them to initiate movements for peace even by intimation like all enthusiasts he was simply strengthened in his zeal by his failure and about a year afterwards he resolved to repeat his visit and effort he had from the first enlisted the sympathy and aid of j r gilmore a lecturer and writer under the nom de plume of edmund kirk who had spent much time in the western armies to smooth his way through the obstacles of military and official routine president lincoln saw clearly enough the futility of all such projected negotiations but he also understood the necessity of silencing clamors for peace he therefore again gave jacques leave of absence and to both permission to pass the lines refusing however all authority instruction or any promise of protection he would not even give the colonel a personal interview in studying this unofficial peace mission as a phenomenon of popular thought it will not be uninteresting to compare the feeling and theory under which it originated with the feeling and theory under which it submitted its volunteer proposals to the rebel authorities in his letter to garfield of may nineteenth eighteen sixty three colonel jacques said i propose no compromise with traitors but their immediate return to allegiance to god and their country so also mr gilmore forwarding the application for colonel jacques's second visit wrote under date of june fifteenth eighteen sixty four i suppose he jacques comes to see me to know what terms he can offer those people of course we have none to offer only to say lay down your arms and go back to peaceful pursuits the emancipation proclamation tells what we will do for the blacks the amnesty proclamation what we will do for the mass of whites we can make no terms with rebels this is i know all that you can say but jacques will have to deal with the leaders and of course they have some affection for their own necks suppose i say to him tell the big devils we want no blood the country feels no enmity and will seek no revenge it will only seek its own safety its safety requires that they no longer remain in it to foster feuds and incite rebellion therefore they must leave they can sell no lands or houses 
no conveyance of that sort will be recognized but if they need to raise means to pay their passage across the atlantic by the disposal of their personal property the government will not interfere with it but at the end of sixty days not one of them must be found within the limits of the united states if they are the laws made for traitors will be applied for them at the last moment gilmore determined to accompany jacques to richmond their short journey was uneventful on the sixteenth of july eighteen sixty four at nine o'clock in the morning they shook hands with general butler at one of the union outposts on the james river and trusting to a flag of truce were lucky enough to find themselves at ten o'clock that night under close surveillance in one of the rooms of the spotswood hotel in the rebel capital next morning sunday july seventeenth eighteen sixty four they addressed a note to the confederate secretary of state benjamin asking an interview with president davis they visit richmond they wrote only as private citizens and have no official character or authority but they are acquainted with the views of the united states government and with the sentiments of the northern people relative to an adjustment of the differences existing between the north and the south and earnestly hope that a free interchange of views between president davis and themselves may open the way to such official negotiations as will result in restoring peace to the two sections of our distracted country upon this they were invited to mr benjamin's office and thoroughly cross-questioned to ascertain whether mr lincoln in any way authorized their coming to which they replied emphatically and truthfully in the negative finally the desired interview was arranged and at nine o'clock that night jefferson davis and mr benjamin his secretary of state gave them an audience in the same room the self-constituted envoys reported on their return that mr davis received them politely and favored them with a two hours discussion only so much of their report need be quoted as indicates the plan of adjustment which their imagination had devised and which was as visionary as might be expected from the joint effort of a preacher and a novelist it is hardly necessary to repeat that mr lincoln had not thought of nor hinted at any such scheme to mr gilmore and that he would not and could not have accepted it even if it had been agreed to or offered by the rebels the essential part of the discussion is thus stated envoys if i understand you the dispute between your government and ours is narrowed down to this union or disunion davis yes or to put it in other words independence or subjugation envoys suppose the two governments should agree to something like this to go to the people with two propositions say peace with disunion and southern independence as your proposition and peace with union emancipation no confiscation and universal amnesty as ours let the citizens of all the united states as they existed before the war vote yes or no on these two propositions at a special election within sixty days if a majority votes disunion our government to be bound by it and to let you go in peace if a majority votes union yours to be bound by it and to stay in peace the two governments can contract in this way and the people though constitutionally unable to decide on peace or war can elect which of the two propositions shall govern their rulers let lee and grant meanwhile agree to an armistice this would sheathe the sword and if once sheathed it would never again be drawn by this generation davis the plan is altogether impracticable 
if the south were only one state it might work but as it is if one southern state objected to emancipation it would nullify the whole thing for you are aware the people of virginia cannot vote slavery out of south carolina nor the people of south carolina voted out of virginia envoys but three-fourths of the states can amend the constitution let it be done in that way in any way so that it be done by the people i am not a statesman or a politician and i do not know just how such a plan could be carried out but you get the idea that the people shall decide the question davis that the majority shall decide it you mean we seceded to rid ourselves of the rule of the majority and this would subject us to it again envoys but the majority must rule finally either with bullets or ballots davis i am not so sure of that neither current events nor history shows that the majority rules or ever did rule the contrary i think is true why sir the man who should go before the southern people with such a proposition with any proposition which implied that the north was to have a voice in determining the domestic relations of the south could not live here a day he would be hanged to the first tree without judge or jury envoys but seriously sir you let the majority rule in a single state why not let it rule in the whole country davis because the states are independent and sovereign the country is not it is only a confederation of states or rather it was it is now two confederations benjamin but tell me are the terms you have named emancipation no confiscation and universal amnesty the terms which mr lincoln authorized you to offer us envoys no sir mr lincoln did not authorize me to offer you any terms but i think both he and the northern people for the sake of peace would assent to some such conditions davis but amnesty sir applies to criminals we have committed no crime confiscation is of no account unless you can enforce it and emancipation you have already emancipated nearly two millions of our slaves and if you will take care of them you may emancipate the rest i had a few when the war began i was of some use to them they were never of any use to me against their will you emancipated them and you may emancipate every negro in the confederacy but we will be free we will govern ourselves we will do it if we have to see every southern plantation sacked and every southern city in flames say to mr lincoln from me that i shall at any time be pleased to receive proposals for peace on the basis of our independence it will be useless to approach me with any other the envoys were as fortunate in getting quickly out of the rebel lines as they had been in getting in and soon after their return mr gilmore published a long account of the interview from which the foregoing extracts are made that it was substantially correct is shown by comparing it with the account written out and sent to the diplomatic agents of the confederacy in europe by mr benjamin he makes an issue of veracity on a minor point alleging that mr gilmore and colonel jackas stated that they came with the knowledge and at the desire of president lincoln and were prepared to make proposals by his authority an allegation directly contradicted by their letter asking the interview but on the question of terms of adjustment there is no material variance as to what was proposed on the one hand or declared on the other 
jefferson davis haughtily charges the envoys with impudence and ignorance but admits in the same breath that he condescendingly explained to them his views of their proposal and the nature and powers of the confederate government on the whole this volunteer embassy was of service to the union cause in the pending presidential campaign the mouths of the peace factionists were to a great extent stopped by the renewed declaration of the chief rebel that he would fight for separation to the bitter end the peace negotiations at niagara falls and at richmond which in a fragmentary way were immediately noticed and commented upon by the newspapers met a quick and sensitive public interest and directed special inquiry to president lincoln himself every one whose political or personal standing warranted it was desirous of ascertaining the truth at first hand how the president felt and talked upon this topic is best shown by a letter written to a personal friend in new york at the time i feel that the subject which you pressed upon my attention in our recent conversation is an important one the men of the south recently and perhaps still at niagara falls tell us distinctly that they are in the confidential employment of the rebellion and they tell us as distinctly that they are not empowered to offer terms of peace does any one doubt that what they are empowered to do is to assist in selecting and arranging a candidate and a platform for the chicago convention who could have given them this confidential employment but he who only a week since declared to jackas and gilmore that he had no terms of peace but the independence of the south the dissolution of the union thus the present presidential contest will almost certainly be no other than a contest between a union and a disunion candidate disunion certainly following the success of the latter the issue is a mighty one for all people and all times and whoever aids the right will be appreciated and remembered this letter written to a republican politician needed no argument to enforce its conclusions but there was another class of questioners who in this new and rapid development of war and politics came to the president with more searching and far-reaching inquiries thus the editor of a war democratic newspaper in wisconsin wrote to say that he had hitherto sustained the president's emancipation policy on the argument that it deprived the south of its laborers and thus undermined the strength of the rebellion the niagara falls peace movement he continued was of no importance whatever except that it resulted in bringing out your declaration as we understand it that no steps can be taken towards peace from any quarter unless accompanied with an abandonment of slavery this puts the whole war question on a new basis and takes us war democrats clear off our feet leaving us no ground to stand upon if we sustain the war and war policy does it not demand the changing of our party politics i venture to write you this letter then not for the purpose of finding fault with your policy for that you have a right to fix upon without consulting any of us but in the hope that you may suggest some interpretation of it as well as make it tenable ground on which we war democrats might stand preserve our party consistency support the government and continue to carry also to its support those large numbers of our old political friends who have stood by us up to this time in reply to him mr lincoln drafted a letter of considerable length which though apparently unfinished and probably never sent is of the highest interest your letter of the seventh was placed in my hand yesterday by governor randall to me it seems plain that saying reunion and abandonment of slavery would be considered if offered 
is not saying that nothing else or less would be considered if offered but i will not stand upon the mere construction of language it is true as you remind me that in the greeley letter of eighteen sixty two i said if i could save the union without freeing any slave i would do it and if i could save it by freeing all the slaves i would do it and if i could save it by freeing some and leaving others alone i would also do that i continued in the same letter as follows what i do about slavery and the colored race i do because i believe it helps to save the union and what i forbear i forbear because i do not believe it would help to save the union i shall do less whenever i shall believe what i am doing hurts the cause and i shall do more whenever i shall believe doing more will help the cause all this i said in the utmost sincerity and i am as true to the whole of it now as when i first said it when i afterwards proclaimed emancipation and employed colored soldiers i only followed the declaration just quoted from the greeley letter that i shall do more whenever i shall believe doing more will help the cause the way these measures were to help the cause was not to be by magic or miracles but by inducing the colored people to come bodily over from the rebel side to ours on this point nearly a year ago in a letter to mr conkling made public at once i wrote as follows but negroes like other people act upon motives why should they do anything for us if we will do nothing for them if they stake their lives for us they must be prompted by the strongest motives even the promise of freedom and the promise being made must be kept i am sure you will not on due reflection say that the promise being made must be broken at the first opportunity i am sure you would not desire me to say or to leave an inference that i am ready whenever convenient to join in re-enslaving those who shall have served us in consideration of our promise as matter of morals could any such treachery by any possibility escape the curses of heaven or of any good man as a matter of policy to announce such a purpose would ruin the union cause itself all recruiting of colored men would instantly cease and all colored men now in our service would instantly desert us and rightfully too why should they give our lives for us with full notice of our purpose to betray them drive back to the support of the rebellion the physical force which the colored people now give and promise us and neither the present nor any coming administration can save the union take from us and give to the enemy the hundred and thirty forty or fifty thousand colored persons now serving us as soldiers seamen and laborers and we cannot longer maintain the contest the party who could elect a president on a war and slavery restoration platform would of necessity lose the colored force and that force being lost would be as powerless to save the union as to do any other impossible thing it is not a question of sentiment or taste but one of physical force which may be measured and estimated as horsepower and steam power are measured and estimated and by measurement it is more than we can lose and live nor can we by discarding it get a white force in place of it there is a witness in every white man's bosom that he would rather go to the war having the negro to help him than to help the enemy against him it is not the giving of one class for another it is simply giving a large force to the enemy for nothing in return in addition to what i have said allow me to remind you that no one having control of the rebel armies or in fact 
having any influence whatever in the rebellion has offered or intimated a willingness to a restoration of the union in any event or on any condition whatever let it be constantly borne in mind that no such offer has been made or intimated shall we be weak enough to allow the enemy to distract us with an abstract question which he himself refuses to present as a practical one in the conkling letter before mentioned i said whenever you shall have conquered all resistance to the union if i shall urge you to continue fighting it will be an apt time then to declare that you will not fight to free negroes i repeat this now if jefferson davis wishes for himself or for the benefit of his friends at the north to know what i would do if he were to offer peace and reunion saying nothing about slavery let him try me but the president was not yet at the end of his annoyances from this unreasonable and abnormal craving for peace negotiations which had infected some individuals of otherwise cool judgment the party anxiety of certain republican leaders had at this juncture become unusually sensitive the democratic national convention was about to meet in the city of chicago and the nomination of mcclellan as its candidate was strongly foreshadowed in anticipation democratic leaders newspapers and delegates were specially active and boastful their unwonted confidence in bold prophecies created general uneasiness among republicans and in a few instances produced a downright panic under this feeling the national executive committee of the republican party met in new york for consultation and so on the twenty second of august its chairman henry j raymond wrote the president the following extraordinary letter i feel compelled to drop you a line concerning the political condition of the country as it strikes me i am in active correspondence with your staunchest friends in every state and from them all i hear but one report the tide is setting strongly against us hon e b washburn writes that were there an election to be held now in illinois we should be beaten mr cameron writes that pennsylvania is against us governor morton writes that nothing but the most strenuous efforts can carry indiana this state according to the best information i can get would go fifty thousand against us to-morrow and so of the rest nothing but the most resolute and decided action on the part of the government and its friends can save the country from falling into hostile hands two special causes are assigned for this great reaction in public sentiment the want of military successes and the impression in some minds the fear and suspicion in others that we are not to have peace in any event under this administration until slavery is abandoned in some way or other the suspicion is widely diffused that we can have peace with union if we would it is idle to reason with this belief still more idle to denounce it it can only be expelled by some authoritative act at once bold enough to fix attention and distinct enough to defy incredulity and challenge respect why would it not be wise under these circumstances to appoint a commission in due form to make distinct proffers of peace to davis as the head of the rebel armies on the sole condition of acknowledging the supremacy of the constitution all other questions to be settled in a convention of the people of all the states the making of such an offer would require no armistice no suspension of active war no abandonment of positions no sacrifice of consistency if the proffer were accepted which i presume it would not be 
the country would never consent to place the practical execution of its details in any but loyal hands and in those we should be safe if it should be rejected as it would be it would plant seeds of disaffection in the south dispel all the delusions about peace that prevail in the north silence the clamors and damaging falsehoods of the opposition take the wind completely out of the sails of the chicago craft reconcile public sentiment to the war the draft and the tax as inevitable necessities and unite the north as nothing since the firing on fort sumter has hitherto done i cannot conceive of any answer which davis could give to such a proposition which would not strengthen you and the union cause everywhere even your radical friends could not fail to applaud it when they should see the practical strength it would bring to the common cause i beg you to excuse the earnestness with which i have pressed this matter upon your attention it seems to me calculated to do good and incapable of doing harm it will turn the tide of public sentiment and avert impending evils of the gravest character it will arouse and concentrate the loyalty of the country and unless i am greatly mistaken give us an easy and a fruitful victory permit me to add that if done at all i think this should be done at once as your own spontaneous act in advance of the chicago convention it might render the action of that body of very little consequence three days later raymond and his committee in obvious desperation and panic came to washington personally to urge these views upon the president to any calm judgment and in the light of greeley's niagara mission and jacques's richmond mission and their results the proposition of raymond was entirely inadmissible but mr lincoln felt that this advice coming from the chairman of the executive national committee of the political party of which he was the presidential candidate demanded patient hearing and respectful answer he likewise resolved that if he were forced to such a step he would as he had done in the case of both greeley and jacques again make the proposer of the project the witness of its absurdity to facilitate examination and discussion of the question he therefore wrote with his own hand the following experimental draft of instructions with which to give point to his argument he proposed to send raymond to the rebel authorities executive mansion washington august twenty fourth eighteen sixty four sir you will proceed forthwith and obtain if possible a conference for peace with hon jefferson davis or any person by him authorized for that purpose you will address him in entirely respectful terms at all events and in any that may be indispensable to secure the conference at said conference you will propose on behalf of this government that upon the restoration of the union and the national authority the war shall cease at once all remaining questions to be left for adjustment by peaceful modes if this be accepted hostilities to cease at once if it be not accepted you will then request to be informed what terms if any embracing the restoration of the union would be accepted if any such be presented to you in answer you will forthwith report the same to this government and await further instructions if the presentation of any terms embracing the restoration of the union be declined you will then request to be informed what terms of peace would be accepted and on receiving any answer report the same to this government and await further instructions a quotation from the private memoranda of an inmate of the executive mansion made at the time gives us the conclusion of the incident the president and the stronger half of the cabinet 
seward stanton and fessenden held a consultation with him raymond and showed him that they had thoroughly considered and discussed the proposition of his letter of the twenty-second and on giving him their reasons he very readily concurred with them in the opinion that to follow his plan of sending a commission to richmond would be worse than losing the presidential contest it would be ignominiously surrendering it in advance nevertheless the visit of himself and committee here did great good they found the president and cabinet much better informed than themselves and went home encouraged and cheered events political and military which occurred and came to public knowledge very few days afterwards silenced the preposterous clamor of peace fanatics and the manuscript of lincoln's experimental letter thereafter slept undisturbed in the envelope in which he placed it for nearly a quarter of a century End of chapter nine